Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today is a podcaster and content creator who has spent over seven years working in the digital publishing industry. Throughout her career, she had the opportunity to work with and interview some of the top fashion brands and designers in the world. She then decided to make a change back in 2018 and launch her own digital magazine centered around health, wellness, and fitness, and provide a platform for women to not feel alone. And back in Jan 2020, she made the decision to expand the platform and started the Goodness Podcast, which focuses on having real and honest conversations surrounding all aspects of life that women face on a daily basis. During this episode, we discuss her experience running the podcast, we take a deep dive into key topics regarding women empowerment and feminism, and we talk about the importance of not letting shame and fear hold you back from truly expressing yourself. Through her podcast, she's been able to shed a light on many of the topics and issues that many women face. Her vision with goodness is to provide women with the knowledge, stories, and resources to help them make better informed decisions. And the last message she wanted to share is to not let the shame or ayab hold you back and to always remember that you are not alone. Please welcome to the show, the founder of the Goodness Podcast, Ms. Noor Tahini. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. So Noor, I actually found out about you quite early in like the my podcasting days uh, from a good friend of mine. She's like, have you heard the Goodness Podcast? I'm like, no, I haven't. Then I checked it out. I'm like, okay, this seems interesting. And then as time has gone on, your name has popped up even more randomly. So I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and figure out who is this person? Why is everyone talking about her? And let's understand like wh- why her podcast has been so successful. So I want to talk to you today all about podcasting and, you know, your journey and the vision you have with it, because uh, I think it's really interesting and quite unique, I think, in, the, in especially in the Middle East. Not many people are talking about the kind of stuff that you are. But before we get into everything, Noor, why don't you give all of us a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. How in-depth would you like me to go? As in-depth, as in as deep as you would like. <laughs> um, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you like a mildly surface level intro. So sure. I'm... Lebanese. Never lived in Lebanon, though. I was raised in the UAE, and I studied in the UK for my university degrees. I studied politics and international relations, graduated from that, did a stint at CNN and UNESCO, and very quickly realized this wasn't where I wanted to be. And then I went into book publishing, books being my first love. And I was in book publishing for two, three years, and then I decided to leave leave London and move back to the UAE and couldn't find any good publishing houses here, which is how I stumbled into digital publishing. And I spent seven years in um, in digital publishing at a at a fashion magazine called Savoir Flair. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's uh, the Middle East first online magazine. Um, incredible experience. I led the editorial team there and the production team and had some of the most unreal moments of my life, attended, you know, fashion weeks, interviewed the biggest designers, traveled around the world. Um, and that was absolutely incredible. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I learned so much. And then in 2000 and, 2000, I'd say 2017, I realized my heart wasn't in it anymore and fashion wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. And the more I thought about it, the more I became drawn to this idea of creating a platform using all of the knowledge that I had acquired already in digital publishing, but building a platform which would contribute greatly to the well-being of women. And obviously, like so many of the things we do was very much inspired by my personal journey. Okay. And 
that's how goodness was born in 2018. And for for a while, I was still working in fashion and sort of doing goodness on the side more as um, like an online magazine kind of format. And then in 2020, launched the goodness podcast. And now goodness is essentially more of a an audio and podcast brand than anything else. All right, that's very interesting. And I wanted to come back to because like you said, I think everyone who starts a podcast, everyone who starts something has a journey, a mission, a reason why they're starting this thing and their vision for it. So could you walk us through that your personal journey and why you decided like you wanted your podcast to be centered all about, you know, women and empower women and so on? It didn't, I wouldn't say that it started as a platform to empower women. Empowering women wasn't exactly something that I had in mind. It was more, I wanted women to feel less alone in the experiences that they were going through. And um, it was, it was like half that and half, I was also going through a phase where I was super interested in health. And so it was like my my personal passion for like health, wellness, fitness, et cetera, coming together um, with a more deep and pure intention, which is of, of giving women a platform to come together, a way to not feel alone. And what I had realized was that in the region, the definition that we had of wellness was super restrictive, right? So when you looked at the magazines that were available or the websites that were available for women's health, it was all about nutrition, diet, fitness, weight loss. That was it. You know, that was the definition of health. But what we wanted to do with goodness was to really expand it to be emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual health. Because there's a there's like a quote that, that we have at the top of our newsletter, and it says, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's it says basically, at goodness, we believe that health is more than what you uh more than what you eat, it's what you do, say, think, believe, etc. So the goal was to expand our understanding of health to be a lot more, for lack of a better word, holistic. Um, and so, so that's that was that was one of the driving forces behind goodness. And then the other thing, which is what I told you, I wanted to have a platform where we could talk about topics that were considered taboo or aib in our culture and in this region, and which, as a result of that, keep women feeling like either they're alone or, you know, they're doing something terrible or something's wrong with them. But then when you talk about it with other women, all of a sudden you realize like, oh, this is actually pretty common. We all go through this and how helpful to be able to talk about it and how helpful to be able to go through it together. So just to give you some examples um, on the website, back when we were doing written content, we did a big series on postpartum depression. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's yeah, after so pregnancy, correct? It's after you deliver the child. Yeah. Um, post, you know, you can. A lot of women experience baby blues, which are just like more mild. Uh, it's like a more mild mood reg- deregulations because of uh, hormonal shifts and change to lifestyle. But then, the extreme of that is postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, where it's really like a mental health problem that needs to be addressed by an expert. Um, where women have a tough time connecting to their baby, um, to their family, to their like, um, it's it's a very, very, very difficult experience for women because they're told that this is the most beautiful time of their lives. They should be feeling, you know, blissful and grateful and in love with their baby. And, and 
the opposite is happening. And, and a lot of the times, you know, they feel this need to reject the baby and the guilt that comes from that, from, from being able, from having to say, you know, the words, I don't want my baby is so hard. Um, and so, and a lot of the times it's not that they don't want their baby. It's that they're going through this uh, roller coaster and they just need help getting through it. So anyway, we had women write articles for us about that in the first person. And I think, I think one of them was called, can you imagine, can you imagine not wanting your baby or something like that, but very powerful. We had a lot of women write in and then we quickly realized like the power in having women tell their stories around these difficult topics. We had stories around miscarriages and then um, as far as like talking about, for example, the IUD, you know, which is a contraceptive method, a woman sharing her story with that. And then I, I realized that having them in written format on the website was super limiting because I wanted to talk to these women. I wanted to ask them more questions and I wanted to be able to not like when you put an 11 minute read on a website, you're like, who the hell's going to read that? You know, who sits and reads for 11 minutes? But to be able to take it into podcast format, like you can dive deep and these conversations like they deserve a deep dive. And so and at the time, I was also really, really personally into podcasts. I still am. Um, and like I, I personally love like the Joe Rogan style of podcasting, which is like three and a half hours of shooting the shit and just talking about anything. Uh, but I realized that's not everyone's cup of tea, which is why I try to keep them keep them a bit tighter and more and, and shorter. Um, but so I wanted to have these conversations with women and it allowed us also to dive deeper into so many more topics like marital difficulties, uh, you know, sexual dysfunction. Um, what else? Um, uh, like your family going broke in Dubai, losing everything you have and coming back from there. So all of these, all of these topics that we, that are not really part of like discourse because it's the kind of things that, you know, Abe, you don't want people to know about you. You don't share. And so what I was saying is like, let's share. Let's, let's have these conversations. Um, I really like that you're bringing, you're shedding a light on the, the, those difficult topics because like you said, they are the ones, they are the ones that you know you don't really speak about publicly or sometimes with anyone, even with like your close family sometimes, <clears throat> sorry, those things aren't shared. So, and that's the beauty of podcasting, I think, about sitting down and having a conversation with someone because like you said, reading something is great, but when you can sit down and have a conversation, listen to the story straight from that person, it's a completely different experience and the listener is going to resonate with that, I think, um, a lot more. So on the in the early podcasting days, walk us through like, how did it start? How did you go about finding your first guest? How did you feel in the first recording? Because I know when I started, I felt like super nervous. I was like, what am I going to talk about? Who's my guest going to be? Just walk us through those early days. Well, I actually fucked up the first recording because I forgot to turn the AC <laughs> off in the room where we were recording. And so like all you could hear was the AC in the back. But I learned quickly. So basically, I was playing around with the idea of, of having a podcast for a few months. And my colleague at the time, her husband was a sound engineer. And so I asked him one day, I was like, hey, would you be able to like teach me how to set up a mic and tell me which mic to get and like sort that out? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so like, I think people are surprised how easy it is to start a podcast, you know? Um, and then I had, my brother had introduced me to Lana. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he said, he said, this is my friend. She has a podcast. And, and I said, oh, I definitely want to talk to her. So we met up for coffee uh, in the coffee shop of Media One. 
And I was there, had like all these questions for her. And she just kept saying, she's like, listen, dude, it's so easy. I record in the broom closet of my office. And then she was telling me about these two guys who record in their car. Like they actually have a, a, I think they're Jordanian guys. They record their show in their car. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take her word for it. Apparently it's super easy. And uh, so I went out, I got a USB mic, plugged it up to GarageBand. And Steven, the guy I was telling you about, helped me set it up. And then I had my first recording and Royalty messed it up. It was basically just AC sound. And so the the girl I was interviewing was kind enough to come back for round two. But as a person, like I'm generally super inquisitive and very curious. Like my husband says I could talk to a shoelace, you know, like I have I have I have so many questions. And I I've always preferred to ask questions and sort of like build my understanding and build my opinions, et cetera, rather than share my opinions and beliefs. And so I love being on the questioning end. Um, and, and, and also something that I, I, I wanted to tell you as well is um, having a podcast has been like super therapeutic for me. I don't know if you, if you find it to be the same, but I've always been a little bit unsure about, you know, I'm the kind of person who will say something and then I'll walk out of the room 30 minutes later. I'll be like, why the hell did I say that? Or like, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I had said this. And I second guess what I say a lot and I have for a long time. And I've also, I'm I'm also not the best person at expressing myself. So you know, like throat chakra, kind of like, if if you were looking at it spiritually, has often been blocked. And to have the, and and weirdly, I also hated the sound of my own voice. And I never thought I would go on a podcast because I was just like, who the hell wants to listen to that? And then I started to record and it's, it's just therapy. Like, I feel like even if no one listened to the goodness podcast, I would still record it because I've had to trust myself you know, trust the thoughts that come out of my mouth. I've had to learn to think and speak slower. Um, and I've learned to, yeah, I've learned to express myself. And I realized that my, my voice is okay. Like it's not the worst <laughs> voice on the planet. It's not, it's obviously not the best radio voice, but it's fine. And so I love that. So that's been like therapy to me. And, um, and so, yeah, we're, we, not, the podcast launched January 18, 2020. And today we're um, in in Feb, and our 59th episode is coming out. So that's uh, it's super exciting, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping for big things this year. Yeah, no, I'm sure they're coming. And thanks for sharing that story. There's so many points and things you were talking about that I related to. I remember like in my first couple episodes, there was an episode that I recorded with a friend that had to be like scrapped. I'm like, no, I wouldn't. There was so bad, like the, the audio quality was so bad that I I wouldn't even listen to it. So I'm like, yep, we're, we're throwing that away. And like listening, like saying your words on a mic, you're like, oh, people are going to hear like what I actually think about like this topic, like how I hope I don't sound like this. I hope I don't think I'm like that. And a lot of people actually during a lot of people who have come on the show as guests, they'd be like, oh, I hate listening to my voice. I'm like, I, by now, I love listening to my voice. Like, Khala. you know, it's, yeah, been yeah. Like, Same. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like, but on the point that you said, I think podcasting for me has been, I wouldn't say therapeutic. I think it's been probably my biggest learning and growth experience as a person because I've had so many 
different people of ages, backgrounds, um, experiences, and each recording is like a blank slate. I'm like, will I be able to connect with this person? How do they speak? How do they think? When am, when should I bring in a question? Are we having that connection? You don't always get that. So you like, I've really learned a lot about a lot about people. Just like trying to understand people. How have you had a similar experience? Yeah, yeah. And when you said there's not always that connection, like sometimes, like I will sweat through an entire recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because ex- that's exactly how I describe it. It's like you're trying to pull answers out of the person. Yeah. Um, but someone. So there's um there's a guy called Omar who runs a company called Dukan Media, and he's been in, in podcasting for a really long time. And he 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 told me that. it takes about like 40 minutes for a person to get comfortable with you. And so sometimes they will record like they'll record for two hours because they want to get the person past that 40 minutes of like really loosening and opening up. And then they will edit and then they'll take like the 20 minutes that they want. Um, but I mean, that's one way of doing it. But yeah, I, I totally agree that sometimes the person sitting in front of you is just not giving you much Um What did what did you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> no, if you've had a similar experience with like podcasting, speaking to people and connecting with connecting with like people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've I've learned so much and just to add to what I was telling you before about because you were saying you were worried about sharing your experience or sharing your your thoughts about a topic and I think I realized that as long as you share your experience as opposed to an opinion it's kind of like because you only have your experience right you can only go based off of that and I think I try to just stick to that because when you when you go like when you expand the picture and you try to like like you get prophetic and you share like these beliefs and thoughts etc that's where you know like a belief is never fully formed Um, your opinion is never fully formed. It's always changing. And I heard a guy on the on the on the Joe Rogan podcast. I think he was actually the CEO of Whole Foods. He said, um, "Opinions are like clothes. You know, you can always change them." But the thing with like a podcast or what, like those thoughts or those opinions are enshrined. For, like they're they're they exist forever in the form in the, this audio format where you can always go back to them. And I would hate to have um, every like random thought that I've had. uh immortalized basically so i share i share experiences but to go back to your point yeah definitely it's been incredible for connecting with people um it's it, it was i i do prefer in person podcasts and for the first three months of recording the podcast so yeah from jan to march i would record in person every week and then the pandemic happened and everything moved obviously to zoom Um, but you don't get the same. It, it's hard to get the same connection from like the worst is when the person on Zoom can't can't turn on their camera or doesn't turn on their camera or the connection is not good enough because you're you're just like talking to their initials and it's you don't get the same you don't get the same connection um, as you would if you were talking to them face to face. But Yeah, it's, it's it was challenging in the beginning on Zoom because it was also figuring out what is the best setup. So, you know, you record a few episodes without your guest using a microphone and you realize the audio is so bad. And then you record a few episodes and the, the guest told you they turned off their AC, but they didn't. 
And then like I, I recorded with with one woman who spent um, the show itching. I think she was itching her hands or her pants. Like she was just doing this like nervous thing. And all you can hear is like <laughs> on the recording. So there are some definitely some like uh, some growing pains there when it comes to establishing like a proper system that works at home. But safe. I have been recording some episodes in a studio in Dubai as well that they have a huge studio room and they like can really space us like on two different sides of the room. So for people who've been who are comfortable, um, who are vaccinated, etc., that's been an option. But in general, it's been on Zoom. Yeah, uh, I remember because uh, the growing pains I can like when you're talking about it, I'm just like reminiscing about all the like the mess ups at the beginning, you know, like you hit the mic, this happens. But and at the beginning, I was so like, obsessed and like, anal with like the sound quality, I still am, I still try to get the best sound quality I do. But a friend of mine told me and it like changed games, I had to listen, if you can get it 80% like good, the last 20% no one's really going to care about. So that all that I would spend like an episode of an hour episode recorded that was recorded face to face, which is when you get the best audio quality. I'd be like sitting and like that, like a chair would have moved for like a, a millisecond. I'd be like, no, 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 they're going to hear that. People won't like it. Like, you know, after all this time and especially with Zoom, the biggest challenge for me and still is sometimes, but I've just come to terms with it is that I can't control how the other person's going to sound. If they like, thank God you have a mic today. So the sound's going to be fantastic. But other people, they just have some headphones. They just have that. So I can only control mine. So that's why I record it like on this because I get the best quality. So it's not like through Zoom, no connection issues, whatever. What is that mic? It's a Zoom. Ironically. Oh, it, there's something called a Zoom? It's a Zoom mic? It's, it's a Zoom recorder. So basically, this is like my mic and then I connect. I can connect four, um, four diff- separate mics here and each person gets their own individual audio track and I can control it all through this. Yeah, yeah. And what software do you use for editing? Uh, Audacity. Yeah. I don't know what my editor uses. But yeah, <laughs> yes, you're right. 100%. Like the uh, inability to control the other person's environment is very, very, very difficult. Yeah, for sure. And, and I was like you in the beginning, by the way. I was so hung up on like, I would I would ask my editor to remove every, um, every yeah. like, if, and you know, there's something that drives me crazy. It's the, um, what did they call them? The saliva sounds. Like, do you know, like, yeah, like the, the swallow? <laughs> no, no, no. Sometimes when someone's mouth is dry and they've just had coffee, you can hear when their tongue hits any side of their mouth or their lips, you just hear this. Like, and like, oh my God, I would drive, I would drive Stephen crazy, like <laughs> asking him to edit all this stuff out to remove. He's like, I can't, I can't. Um, and, but yeah, you realize you realize it's fine. And also, if you have a good relationship with your audience, they're so forgiving. Like, I think one of the things that I was advised to do at the beginning when we started to record Zoom podcasts was to say at the very beginning, like when I introduced the guests, then I would say, side note, this episode was recorded over Zoom because we wanted to keep bringing you good content during this pandemic. So please bear with the sound quality. Thank you. And that kind of like gave people, people knew like, this is it. This is the, the world we live in. This is the situation we're in. And this is as good as it gonna, it's going to get. And yeah, people were very forgiving. That's actually a, that's a great idea. I never I never I've, I've actually never done that. But um, I think it's a nice setup for anyone. But in my mind, I'm like, 
you know what my normal content is. If it sounds perfect, then we sh I was with this person. If it's through Zoom, like you're going to know. And only recently I learned that like some of the podcasts that I follow, the big ones, you know, like School of Greatness, and, like Impact Theory, even because they had to do some through the pandemic too. Some of the audio quality from like the guest is like terrible and they probably have God knows how many listens. So I'm like, okay, yeah, so it's not as... It's not as big a deal in my head as I thought it was, but I still always try to make it, you know, the best I can. Yeah, I think it's bigger in our heads than it is in anyone else's heads. 100%. 100%. Um, I wanted to move on to... So this is a topic that I haven't really discussed in the podcast all about um, kind of what, what the whole vision behind your podcast is with like women's health and like, you know, women empowerment and just that, 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 whole, that whole picture. So... One thing, uh, so I listened to your episode with Elisa, and one thing she said that I thought was interesting, she's like, the term women empowerment has become like overused. And that reminded me of like the term, for example, mental health awareness. Everyone talks about mental health awareness and like women empowerment and so on. So I'm like, okay, if, first of all, how would you define women empowerment in your, in, in your own words? And two, if we don't want to use that term now, what should we what should we what should we be using instead what would you say hmm. good question very good question yes the word the, the term women empowerment has been over overused but mainly because it's been commercialized right so the as as we discussed in the podcast with Elisa, it was like it was made into slogan t-shirts and keychains and every brand on the planet was like I want to camp because I, 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 I did that when I was working in fashion. I did brand campaigns and they would say, we would ask, what do you want? Like women empowerment. Everyone wanted women empowerment, you know, and, and essentially women empowerment became a way to sell you more products. So I was saying you, that that is generally what happens with movements in, in the world. And like, I think we saw that a little bit with Black Lives Matters last year. Right. It was it was. The, it, it was what everyone was talking about. It was everywhere. And then, you know, now where is it? And you'll often see posts on Instagram that say, you know, Black lives still matter, even if we're not talking about it. And I guess that's maybe the result of the way the world is, the way the news cycle is, um, our attention spans, social media, etc. So anyway, to come back to your question, yes, the word women empowerment has been overused. And there's um there's something that always made me feel a little bit uneasy about the term women empowerment because it's almost like women empowerment the need to empower women feels like it's it's an external thing it's like here are the women and we need to empower them because they cannot empower themselves so it's um let us help do as opposed to it coming from the inside of this group of women which is like a self-empowerment thing but I mean, it's just, it's semantic. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, what term would I use? That's a good question. I think like what, what I often say and what I've, I've read as well is to, is that the goal is to help women make better informed decisions for themselves. So it's, it's providing them with the information that they need to then make their own decisions. It's providing them with the platforms that they need. It's providing them with the environments that they need to then be able to decide, you know, do I want to be a CEO or do I want to be a stay-at-home mom, given that I now have all this information, understanding, and support. 
Um, so I don't actually have a term that I would use, and I can't think of one now. If I do, I'll, I'll, I'll WhatsApp it to you. Um, and your second question was, sorry. Um, so we were talking about how would you define define it, which um, which you just said, and then we talked about how would you rebrand it. So for you, it's about yeah. So it's not about it is you're empowering them through providing them with all those the knowledge, those tools, the platforms, the environments to make those decisions, whatever they may be, right? But do you think sometimes, like uh, coming on to my next question, like this is something that I think becomes. I think either they become the signals become mixed or maybe the messaging kind of starts to change. What would you say is the difference between like when people say women empowerment and feminism? Are those two things the same thing or are those two completely different like messages that people are like putting out? What would you say? Yeah, feminism is a very intricate and sort of in-depth movement that has a huge history behind it. And there have been waves of feminism. I think we're maybe in the fourth wave of feminism right now. And each wave has had its own characteristics and its own demands and its own you know, driving forces. So I would say that feminism as a movement is, is a way, I don't want to say way bigger, but it's, it has a lot more depth, you know, like it's, it's an anthropological, philosophical, political, uh you know it's it's it has it's like a, a web you know and, and now you, in the u.s they have for example intersectional feminism and it's just it's really really like um a very what's the word i'm looking for i don't want to say very heavy topic that's not the right word it's like a it's a much deeper it's a much uh, deeper movement with roots that that run you know decades deep and a lot more nuanced than just female empowerment um i did want to say something though and, and we kind of touched on it on with elisa on the podcast that i recorded with her was that um feminism or let's say women empowerment for example looks different in different parts of the world so for instance in the us it's louder it um, has different demands and different faces because of where they are on their journey. In the Middle East, for example, it's 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 completely different. You know, like we are faced with different obstacles, different challenges, different parameters, different realities. Um, you know, like for example, in this, I mean. In, in Egypt, for example, still have numbers like 99% of women have experienced sexual harassment. You know, these are like, this is a reality for us in the region. Uh, honor killings are still happening in places like Jordan. They're enshrined in the law in places like, you know, Kuwait. There's an amazing organization called Abolish 153. Um, and I actually had one of the founders on the podcast and she was explaining how 153 is an article in the Kuwaiti Penal Code. And it basically states that if a man kills uh, his wife or daughter or mother, whatever, and it's deemed like an honor killing, then his sentence, I can't remember, but it was like something like $15 was like the fine that he had to pay or, or something. Like that. It was It's ridiculous. But these are 
you know, things are changing and there are amazing organizations out there that are doing a lot of work, but that is still a reality of life in the Middle East. And so how does that affect our definitions and understanding of, you know, furthering women's rights? So maybe in the U.S., you know, they're shouting on the rooftops that they want equal pay. But in the Middle East, we're still at a level where we're saying, we're, in some communities, we're saying, you know, stop female genital mutilation, you know, and that's, and you're seeing rates of over like 90% of that in certain countries in the Arab world. Um, so, so yes, so just to say like, it's, it's different. And I think it's very hard to apply that kind of, it's hard to apply these Western interpretation, interpretations of, you know, words or values or whatever it is to our situation here, or these ideologies to our situation here, there's always a nuance to it. And so with goodness, just to bring it back, um, the, the, the way that I wanted to, contri to contribute to what was happening or the way that I could think of bringing value is to just present this platform to any woman who had a story to share with other women who overcame something. So the podcast, we have two different types of guests. Let me just take it a step back. There's, sure. there's sort of like the experts and then there's uh, the real women's stories. So experts will be like, um, it'll be a, uh, a doctor, a therapist, someone who, who is sharing, who is offering value through their expertise. And the other type of guests, like the more like um, me and you kind of, well, not you, sorry. <laughs> like just, <laughs> I'm more used to having women on the other side of the, on the <laughs> other side of the camera. Like, um, the other ones are just women who have experienced something, who have like grown through a personal experience and are are sharing lived advice. Um, and it's very powerful to hear another woman's story and to hear how she went through it, whether it's like how she went through IVF or how she fell from a climbing wall, broke every bone in her body and used positive affirmations to um, start walking again. Like whatever it is, there is power in that. and the goal was for these women to to always either be Middle Eastern or come from the Middle East. Um, sorry, be Middle East, Eastern or live in the Middle East, because then the stories are relevant and accurate to, they're accurate and relevant to what other women here are going through. And I think you, you made a very good point that, uh, and like you guys discussed in the podcast, that I, I didn't consider that, that, feminism and all these kind like women empowerment all these kind of things are so different across different cultures and that's not something that i personally ever considered before but like you correctly said like some things in the states for example that might be more liberal we might be more conservative on conservative on here you know different cultures backgrounds societies so it's very hard like I said to get a a common ground that all women around the world can be like okay we're all on this and we build like this is the foundation that we build from because everyone's on a different everyone's on a different level and a different uh, playing field. But what do you think? I'm curious because I think some people have misconceptions about feminism. So what do you think some of like some of those are? Because I think sometimes it can get yeah. Because I think sometimes maybe they it can come with like a negative connotation or something like that. Uh, so I'm curious. What do you think some of the misconceptions are that maybe people aren't like understanding? I don't think that I would be the best person to speak of that because I haven't done enough research and looked deep enough into feminism and, and the misconceptions that people have about it. 
Um, but I mean, one thing that always, always cracks me up as the, and, and comes across as like the most basic surface level, like understanding such misunderstanding of feminism is when someone says, oh, you're a feminist, then I'm not going to hold the door for you. Or like this idea that, you know, but like, I do think men should hold the door for women and I hold the door for men and I hold the door for other women. It's common courtesy. It's like basic, you know, humanity. It has nothing to do with any of that. Um, so that's, that's always one that cracks me up, but I don't, I think man, people think it's like burning bras and like not shaving your underarms. And like, those are like really, really like, try, like it's, it's a, it's a very surface misunderstanding of feminism, but I don't think that I, I don't think I can, I can do justice to your question uh, without looking into it further. That's fair. I respect the honesty. I appreciate that. Yeah, I sorry. That. Yeah, definitely. No, no. I think it's, I learned that from podcasting. It's better to say like that, that you don't know than to like go down a 40 minute ramble. But, uh, but saying you don't like saying you don't know is perfectly fine. That's one thing I remember in uh, when I was selling. They're like, listen, if you don't know, say you don't know. Don't try to like come up with some bullshit on the part. People can like sniff it out. Everyone's going to know. I, I did want to add something, which is that as we were saying, like there's there's various ways that you can get interested and involved in the experience of being a woman in today's world and where there may be some injustices or where there may be some things that just like don't really make sense. So it could be on a political level, you can get involved uh, in, for example, on a when it comes to a professional level, are women being paid as much as men? Are they having the same opportunities? You could look at it from a perspective, you know, I have a friend who, who works in sexual and reproductive health. And so what she concerns herself with is the fact that there's very little access and what impact does that have on women? And one thing that I was very interested in for a long time myself, and also because of my personal journey was uh, all the marketing and messaging around women's bodies and women and the beauty standards that are expected of women and you know how media plays into that and how social media plays into that and the development of eating disorders and body dissatisfaction amongst women and there definitely is at like the number of the numbers of eating disorders in men are on the rise as well so that's not to negate that experience uh, but I think it's very evident at least to me and to, to the experts I've spoken to, that the messaging has been targeting women for a much longer time when it comes to like what their bodies should look like and what, you know, physically what they should look like. And that's something that I'm super interested in. Um, but yes, you there are very, there are different and, and many, many ways to come at this problem. Um, and you just kind of find the sliver that is of interest to you. Yeah, no, I think and I think that's a very, very good point to talk about, because like you said, it's there's so many layers and there's so many different angles that need need to be addressed, you know, for like for, to, for everything to change in the long term. All these points at some point are going to need to be addressed. So like you said, find the one that matters to you, the one that you're interested in. And that's the way you get in. So I think that's a, a very important point to remember. And on your point that you were talking about body image. So I've I have so many friends like girlfriends here that we like I grew up with and like I know them I can't tell you how many of them have struggled with like body image and not just from and it's not just from um 
like everything you're talking about like the marketing the social media like uh, our society all that stuff does play a role but i think i don't know maybe because just uh, this is the culture that i've grown up in that i know i think in our culture the arab culture like there's pride is a big thing you know there's always i think like what will those people say i don't know who these people are these like that exist <laughs> in the world but why do so do you think because of the culture that we we've grown up in that we live in that emphasizes that whole body image thing or what what would you say because i know it's i i've heard from so many people that that's a problem um yes absolutely i remember the woman who was my therapist and who took me through my my um eating disorder and body image therapy for almost two years she is the vice president of the middle east eating disorder association she's very, very, she's, uh, you know, educated in, in France, has traveled the world, attended conferences around the world, is very involved in research around this topic. And she's said to me, she said, I've never seen numbers like we have in the Middle East when it comes to eating disorders and body image. And she said this because she's never seen the pressure that she's seen in the Middle East on women to be a certain way and to be, you know, to be perfect. The pressure that there is on women is is a lot. And this is, these are her words. So, uh, in her observations, she said, "She said, yeah, that that definitely it has something to do with being in this part of the world." But you know, I'm I I started to watch Friends again, just as like a twenty minutes way to 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 wind down at night and to stop my brain from going around in circles. And I just it just hit me because I was looking at Rachel, Monica, and Phoebe, and they are all three of them are stick thin. Um, they make fun of Monica when she was overweight. And there are a lot of like sort of, you know, fat shaming and fat jokes and things like that. And, you know, that's fine because they didn't know better back then. But at the same time, this is the show that we all grew up in. And Monica, Rachel or Phoebe were our ideals of beauty. And there just wasn't any variety. And I remember reading an interview with Phoebe. What's her, the actress's name? Lisa Kadro. Lisa Kadro? Kadro. Yeah. I read an, an interview with her recently where she said that she actually had a really, really hard time both like emotionally, mentally, and physically trying to keep up with the weight of the other two during the show because the other two were so thin and she had this pressure to be just as thin as them. It's just like an example. I just, because it's top of mind because I watched this show. I'm, I'm watching this show now. I'm like on season three or four. And these things stand out now that you know better. Um, but yeah, we've, but we have come, we've, we've come away, but we still have a really long way to go. Yeah, no, I think and I think that's right. And it's funny that you use the the friends example, because I go to sleep to friends every night. I, I've memorized everything back to front. So you can be like, oh, episode four. I'm like, oh, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But like, I've also thought about that um, watching because I keep watching it back that some of the like jokes, some of the things that they said, like nowadays, oh, my God, with social media, what would have happened like now? They'd, they would have been canceled after like not even a few episodes, like 100%. So it's funny. But I think just... it's okay to, to, I think it's okay to learn and grow and then know better, right? Yeah, for sure. 100%. Like, at, like you correctly said, like, they didn't know better at the time and now things are different. So, of course, all the new con- stuff that's coming out doesn't have that. Um, no, I want to be conscious of the time. So I have just a couple more questions for you. So this is one that I thought, I'm like, I'm really curious to see what Noor would think. So you are now, so I want you to imagine you are now president of the world, okay? And the whole I, world. The whole world, the whole world, okay? Not even just the country. Okay. No, 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 the whole world. And you have your first executive order 
that you can sign now that will immediately impact women all over the world today, what would be the number one issue you'd want to tackle first? Oh my gosh. It's funny because when you said that, the first thing that I thought of was that it would be an environmental policy, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, because that's like what really pulls at my heart all day is the okay. is, is is that. Um, but if I had to implement one policy globally, I think that it would be adequate sex ed in all schools for boys and girls. Okay, interesting. What what makes you why is that the one that you decided to pick? I'm curious. That's a good question. Um so a friend of mine that I mentioned to you before is working on a project in Lebanon which is all about sexual and reproductive education and she shares with me statistics and she shares with me like really um incredible studies and research that have been done into the impact that adequate sexual and reproductive health for both boys and girls has on improving women's lives. Um, You know, if there's adequate sexual education that teaches the importance of consent and respect, you have fewer cases of, you know, harassment, you have fewer cases of abuse, Um, You have fewer cases of teenage pregnancies. You have fewer, um, you have more of an understanding of respect between men and women. And it's, and what's inspiring about it or what's, what's nice about it is that it happens at a very young age, right? So it's in schools um, and it shapes, it it shapes these students or these children as they grow into adults. And so these concepts and these notions that are taught in school stay with them as opposed to coming in, you know, at an adult stage and trying to fix things. Um, So that's, I had a recent conversation with her about that and it stayed at the top of my mind, which is, but it has to be, it has to be effective programs. So it can't be like, um, what do they have in the U S they call them? What do they call it when they, not exempt when they the word to say that they basically don't have sex they abstain uh, abstinence uh, pro- uh, yeah, abstinence, yeah, abstinence yes, programs. Yeah, yeah. so abstinence programs are not effective uh programs where they you only talk about you know the reproductive system and how babies are made is not an effective uh program it has to be a lot more in-depth etc so that's one of the things that i would do uh the other thing that i would do is definitely would have something to do with body image Mm. oh i would destroy the dieting industry (laughs) that is like (laughs) actually actually forget the sex that is the first thing i would do is i would (laughs) ban the diet industry uh i don't know how i need to think more about my first you know presidential order it's a big deal so i don't actually have like the different clauses and points but it would be something to do around messaging around women's bodies all these diet products and these diet books and these diets like shows and these diets and the weight loss and the weight loss like just to stop that um yeah that would be my first presidential order good question i like that (laughs) i'm glad and good answers good answers i like both of those um on the the dieting one i can I can, um, if you decide to destroy it, I'll join you because I've learned, you know, in my experience, like when I was younger, like especially like 18, 19, I'd be like gymming. I was taking these like fat burning pills. I don't even know what the hell I was putting in my body. But at the time, like 
not just me like all the guys are like yeah take this bro and like now like 10 12 years later i'm like i i lost like 30 kilos in like three years and i'm like what did i do i just didn't overeat and i went to the gym consistently like there's no i don't there's all these diet things don't even make sense like they're so they're so temporary the the podcast that uh is coming out this week well, i don't know when this podcast when our podcast is coming out so i don't know if it'll be the if it'll be the same week as the podcast i'm referring to but my most recent guest dr shafali verma who's a, a doctor in dubai she's saying that like, she's seen girls who've come to her and be like i've been bleeding for two weeks like i've had my period for two weeks and I've been taking the, these pills because my trainer said that it'll help my legs become thinner. And she's like, you like you're bleeding for two weeks. At what point did you not realize that there was like a s- severe issue with what you were doing? And we we go through to extreme and like insane lengths to lose yeah. weight. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it really um, is. It's sad. It's sad. The amount of brain power that goes towards weight loss and what you ate and you sit in bed and you count the calories of the things that you ate that day and you like you buy the little ebooks and the programs and you spend money and then you go like it's just like that whole thing just needs to you know stop no i i 100 percent agree because like you said the extents that some people will go to to have that perfect body that perfect whatever is it's detrimental to their health it's not even like the look but the look it's funny how we've been so conditioned to be that way that oh if i can look that way that's more important than how i like feel how's my health and all that kind of stuff yeah so i totally agree and for my last two questions Noor, these are questions i ask all my guests number one looking back over you know your career with work or, or maybe in your personal life or whatever it might be what are you most proud of for yourself I think when it comes to my career, I'm most proud of the podcast because of the conversations I've been able to have, because of what it means for me personally in my personal growth, which we touched on earlier, and because of the impact it has on women's lives. So like my favorite, favorite thing is to receive messages from women like DM saying, I heard this podcast, I don't feel alone, or I love your podcast, I wait for it every week. And, you know, the podcast, similar to the podcast that you record, you know, the podcast isn't about us. It's 100% about the guests and about giving a platform to people who have lived through something or who know more about something. Um, And to just be able to, like, put a little bit of goodness, to use (laughs) the branding, to put a little bit of goodness out into the world is really special. Yeah, and that, that's awesome, and that the podcast has, you know, been able to give you that feeling of fulfillment. Like, and I can attest to that. Like, when you get that message from one person, just one, it doesn't. I don't need many, but like one person's like, "Yo, I listened to this, and it was really inter- either it was really interesting or really helped me get a new perspective on this topic or whatever it might be." That for me is like, you know, job done. It's it's so fulfilling. So I definitely resonate with that. How come you decided to call your podcast "Hope It Helps"? <laughs> I get asked this question a lot so I I I remember so over the quick story so when I moved to Amsterdam in 2017 I went on I went through some challenges so I like decided to focus on like Khalid and personal growth and all that kind of stuff so I listened to <clears throat> podcasts and TED talks like in that time and reading books and so on so all these incredible people that I never met 
have made me who I am today, like how I think, how I think about my perspective, like on so many different ways. And I never met these people, but they've helped me so much. So I'm like, what do I want to do? I want to do I want to do the same thing. I want to have a platform to have amazing conversations with people so that hopefully someone listening will get help the way I got help. So I'm like, what am I trying to do with everything? I'm like, help people. But I can't guarantee it helps. So I'm like, okay, hope. So I just hope it helps them. That's it. Got it. Got, got it, it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you like it? <laughs> That's good. I'm glad. And for my last question, Noor, what is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? These are good questions. These are not questions I think about. These are not answers I think about on a daily basis. Um, I think don't let the concept of Aib hold you back from anything. Um, it's a horrible cage that a lot of us have lived in and you know grown up in, whether it's um, you know, it's Aib to talk about the problems that you have or it's it's Aib to have a weakness in any part of your life or, you know, it's Aib to admit that you struggle with your body image or that you have an eating disorder or it's Aib uh, to express yourself, you know, sexually as a woman or it's and, and all these cages, you know, they hold us back and they stop us from getting the help we need and they stop us ultimately from connecting in a way that is meaningful and that helps us to overcome um, various you know, issues, problems, stages in life. And you're not alone. And it is actually like shocking how many of us are going through the same thing. I think this is a little bit more for your female audience than your male audience. I can't uh, pretend pretend to understand the male journey. And um, yeah, I think there's there's power in numbers. There's power in coming together and having honest conversations and this is what is going to help us to, you know, get through the hardest times and the hardest experiences that are part of being a woman in this part of the world. So that's it. That's my uh, advice. I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful message. And I love how you said uh, it didn't you didn't say don't let the shame. I love that you said don't let the air because. When you say that, everyone knows what that means. Like you, there's more, there's more behind that than just shame. And don't let it stop you. And I think, like you said, um, you're definitely not alone. It's crazy how many people are going through what you're going through, and even worse sometimes. So like, it's it's nice to know that you know, like you said, there's strength in numbers, and to have a platform like you do, and like what I do, to have these kind of conversations, hopefully we can get rid of that ayab and help some people. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Noor. This was a fantastic conversation. I loved it. Learned so much about like, I, cause I haven't had, I've never spoken about like women empowerment and the female perspective on the podcast. So I really wanted to dive into it today. So it was really, really interesting for me. So, and congrats on the podcast and all the work you're doing. And thanks so much for coming. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. I hope your your audience enjoys this different perspective. And I also realized that maybe you have some non-Arab like Arab listeners who might be a bit thrown off by Aib. So it's a good thing that you said at the end, Aib is like an Arabic word for shame. So yeah, just clarifying that. <laughs> thank you so much, Khaled. It was great talking to you. It was awesome. It was a pleasure. Guys, to everyone listening, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.